Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. Jess, we have a first on the show today. Tell us about it. It's a doctor. <gasps> well, it's not our first doctor. Not our first doctor, but you know. Don't forget Dr. Mark Allen. And we had Dr. Mark Allen. We had he's a great guy and all like that. But this doctor is Dr. K. Flannery. K. Flannery is a Rowan Virtua SOM grad. So she's our first medical school alum that we've had on the show, which was really fun because admittedly, Rob and I were wondering, what's this going to be like? We haven't interviewed no a medical school alum yet. No. And it was so much fun. Wait till you hear. I mean, she tells us all the good medical stuff about our her career and uh, surgical oncology. So we do get into some serious stuff, but she was so fun. Yeah, she has a lot of fun stories. One of them we have to cut. But <laughs> Sorry, you can't but, know everything. But the other ones are pretty good, too. So uh, check out Kay on this episode. No pressure, but you are the first medical school alum that we've had on the show. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds terrifying. I know. As if she wasn't nervous enough, what I had to fly that. agree to? No, oh my goodness. This is going to be totally fine. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're in good hands with us. Are we? Am I? Though? Okay, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so we like to start by asking everybody to go back. So obviously your undergrad wasn't here at, at Rowan, but where did you go for undergrad? I went to uh, New York University. Okay, so where did you grow up? How did you get to So. NYU? I, it's a long story. I always say that I'm from New York, but I'm actually not really from New York. I was born in Seoul, Korea, mm. South Korea. My dad uh, was a diplomat and got stationed in Arlington, VA. So we moved to the United States when I, uh, right after my seventh grade. Mm. So the summer after seventh grade, we moved to Alexandria, Virginia. So I finished my middle school and high school there. Then my dad was uh, sent back home. His uh, post was over in Arlington and was sent back home to his uh, government job. And by then I had decided, you know, I was going to stick it out here, had a scholarship to a liberal arts school somewhere in the South. I won't name the school. Um, (laughs) So told my parents, I'm not going home with you, and threw that bomb to them. And they said, oh, you're not going home with us. Then we're not going home either. We can't oh. leave you out here by yourself. So we uh, were you settled. Able, were you, like, set pretty much in your ways at that point? Or well, like- no, I, I had a full scholarship to go to the school, and so I wasn't going to really need to worry about the finances and really wasn't looking to go back home. But... You know, just the idea of like, hey, mom and dad, I took care of everything. I don't need to go home with you. Yeah, and they're, they're like, like oh, no, thank you. That chance <laughs> yeah. that we won't go home either. <laughs> wow. So that's how it happened. And then so we settled in New York. My parents had a couple friends there and some relatives. Uh, so we settled there. I took a year off um, uh, during that year to go back home to settle everything for my dad's job. And then came back and during that year off my mom was like well I might as well apply apply to NYU and see what happens and 
ended up in, uh, going there. <laughs> so I want to go back to middle school. Yes. I'm going all the way back. That's yeah. hard that you came from, you, oh, you yeah. transitioned into middle school, which is a hard enough time oh, as it mm, is for awful, a person. What awful. was that like? So I obviously uh, didn't speak English fully. I had had a tutor so I could I remember like getting off the bus or getting on and off the bus thinking oh my gosh like where are they sending me have no idea we started summer school to sort of just get our feet wet before we started the full year it was tough it wasn't easy but I remember just like overnight all of a sudden things uh, making sense or me being able to say things a lot more clearly but yeah it wasn't easy it was tougher for my brother who started his first grade here and so he really knew nothing oh my god this poor kid <laughs> and i remember my mom telling me later on that he gave him money every day to buy himself an ice cream in the lines cafeteria line just so that he had something <laughs> to look forward to <laughs> oh, <laughs> during the day ice cream is something to <laughs> yes. look forward to as yes. an incentive that's what they give Incentives. me here at the yeah, university ice cream. <laughs> 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 finish my work one they give me ice cream, ice cream yeah. per day yeah. oh yeah so not not easy does he like ice cream still or does he associate it with bad memories probably bad memories i'll have to ask him. <laughs> every time that mr softy truck comes yeah. he's like it's no too much yeah oh my goodness so what were you going to study at NY or what did you study you said you applied to an art school? So it was a liberal arts school. Okay. Um, I had al- always known that I wanted to be a physician. But when I went to NYU, I also did knew not to do the traditional route. I didn't want to be sort of the chemistry major, you know, pre-med track. I took all the pre-med courses, but I wanted to do something a little different. So I was a sociology major. Um, so took a lot of criminology courses. I took some of the pre-law courses, economics, all sorts of stuff, uh, so that I thought that I could get myself more well-rounded. Decided to take um, about two years off. I didn't want to go right into medical school, so I actually went to a master's program at Rutgers, did a master's in public health. Um, Took two years to work as a researcher at Cornell Med School, and then came to Rowan to uh, start my med school years. Could we, because there's a video of you yes. that I want to rewind to, yes. that folks can watch online. I will probably link it somewhere. Oh, this one, you know, it's, it's <laughs> just Google it. Yeah. Just Google it. <laughs> but we, I kind of want to go back to that story and how you kind of knew you were going to be a doc. Could you share that with folks, the story that you shared in that story? Uh, yeah, so I was, a, I was in kindergarten, and I remember it was like a career day in kindergarten from my memory. And there were different stations, you know, that you could go, and I guess one was like a teacher station. There was a, a medical uh, station, and so... I remember there being like a nurse's cap and a stethoscope. So I went, I ran over to that table and grabbed the stethoscope. And my teacher stopped me and said, no, you can't grab that. That's for the boys. Wow. I said, oh, really? I don't like that. I'm going to grab this. So I came home and I told my mother, I'm going to be a doctor. Somebody told me I can't be one. (laughs) What did your mother say? My mom said, oh, okay, well, can we, we can do this. And so then it stuck in their minds. And so... Every, you know, point where I said, oh, you know, I don't want to do this. My parents then said, remember, you said you were going to do this. Oh, good for them. Yeah. And they kind of pushed me along the way, too. But, yeah, it all started, stemmed from a teacher telling me you can't do it because it's for the boys only. So have you always been stubborn? 
<laughs> yeah, we just said, wow, yeah, Jess came I'm out not fire. going home. Yeah, you're the not first going home, mom. You're our first med, uh, med interview, and you're also the first time she's asked that question. <laughs> no, but I love We're that. like five minutes into the conversation. <laughs> I told you we would make you feel comfortable. Wow. I'm making Rob feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm very like, uncomfortable this is too, right now. This is too soon. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> we barely know each other. Now we do. <laughs> well, I guess you got to answer the question now. Right. No, oh, I'm definitely stubborn. That's why I'm a surgeon. Yeah. No, surgeons are very dogmatic. You know, do we get, we get to control. We're the captain of the ship. I get to sort of man the ship and say, we're going in this direction. I'm not even only a surgeon, but I'm a cancer surgeon. So anything goes, nope, the cancer takes priority. We have to do it this way. And these are your options. And this is how we have to do it. It's sort of like steering the ship. and, And I think a little degree of stubbornness is definitely necessary to do. Yeah, stubborn's not bad, especially for a little girl being told she can't be a doctor. She's like, yes, I can. Look, I have been told by plenty of people that I'm stubborn, and they don't use it in a positive (laughs) context. So so I'm coming at it. I'm sorry, Rob. Do you need therapy right now? (laughs) Did I hit a nerve? I think a little bit. I'm sorry. (laughs) A little bit. So let's talk about your area of expertise. Like, what, What made you pursue that area? So I didn't know that I wanted to be a surgeon. In fact, when I first got into medical school, I was already married. And I remember having a dinner with my in-laws and my husband. And, you know, we were, like, it was like a celebratory dinner. And, and I remember telling all of them, oh, uh, you know, they asked me, you know, what do you, you want to do? And I said, oh, I'm not sure, maybe a pediatrician or I want to be an ER doc. Definitely not surgery Um, because it's going to take too long. And then I shadowed a bunch of doctors in my first year at at Rowan Medical School. And so I shadowed an ER doc bunch of times because I really thought I was going to be an ER physician. Um, But every shift that I came back, I would end up asking my attending, hey, whatever happened with the so-and-so patient? Mm. And be like, I don't know. We sent them upstairs. I guess he got taken care of. And so uh, there was always that question of what happened to that patient and the continuity of care. That's not the focus of the ER. ER is really triaged. Are we saving this patient, make sure that they're not crumping, and then get them to the next level? It's not necessarily definitive care. So I kept asking what had happened with that patient. So didn't like that maybe so much. I then shadowed a pediatrician. I decided the parents ask too many questions that they don't want to, but they don't listen to you. Like, okay, so this is the answer. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, that is the answer. Like, oh, so I said, okay, I don't know if I can do pediatrics. And then I shadowed a surgeon who uh, allowed me in the OR and allowed me to hold the blade and make the incision Whoa. on somebody's back. And I remember, I still remember how that knife felt in my hand. And I'm telling you, as soon as I caught it, I'm like, well, whatever this is, I have to do. And I came home and I you told had my to be, husband. You had to be like nervous as all yeah, get out. Did you no, like I'm that? Nervous. No, it's and the way that the skin cuts, like, you know, you just, it's so smooth. Can you cut her skin right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you get me back about the stubborn comment? Exactly. Jeez Louise. No, but there's something about it where it just, I still remember that feeling and I said, wow. And they tell you, like, if you read books about becoming a surgeon, if you talk to other people about what field of medicine that you want to choose, 
Not a lot of people will tell you, gosh, I know the moment that I knew that this was the field that I belonged in, that was the moment I made that, I, I made that incision. I said, whatever this I just did, I have to do. And so I, told, I came home, told my husband, I don't know how many years it's going to take, but I'm going to have to be a surgeon. Okay, so speaking of the years, because I've committed a lot of years to watching Grey's Anatomy in my life, but (laughs) I never quite... Is it it real? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to know what happens in the on-call room. So I just, I I never quite grasp the process, right? So like from all of the school steps, what you're, you know, when you're interning, when you're a resident, walk me through... I need this lesson. Walk yes. me through how what long it, it takes. Yeah, what, it, what takes, it takes. What are the steps yep. to get from so, place to place? So let's start from college, since we're a college station, right? So you do four years of college. So do some pre-medical years of training. I chose to do a master's degree and work outside. So I was considered a non-traditional student. Medical school is usually about four years. All right. I trained as a general surgeon, and that's usually five to six years of residency. So the first year is called the internship, where you do all the other stuff. You're you're uh, handling medical calls, so you're not just doing surgeries. And then the la- later four to five years, you're spending focusing on whatever field that you dedicated yourself to. And for me, that was general surgery. So a lot of bowel surgery you know, uh, weight loss surgery, gallbladder, you know, somebody comes in with a trauma. I dealt with all of that. And then uh, I did a one-year fellowship training in breast surgical oncology, and I did that at Penn. So, you know, six years after graduating medical school. Okay. And where is, in that sort of process, Mm -hmm. there's got to be some attrition that takes place. Where, Where does that happen? I, I mean, I think it depends on what field you go into and how far you are and how dedicated you are. And, you know, again, it depends on what field. Like did any of your folks that you were that you started with not come through? Uh, yeah, some some decide um, during medical school, some people decided, you know, there were a couple medical school classmates of mine where after maybe a year or two, they decided this wasn't for me, dropped out. I also have some classmates where they chose to do a certain residency field, like, you know, chose surgery, chose OB-GYN, and after like a year, they decided this is really not for me and changed into a different uh, specialty. So it, it can happen, you know, throughout the process. Did you have a backup plan for all this in case it didn't work out? Like, was like I, I certainly did not have a backup. <laughs> she plan. did not. She was remembering her well, kindergarten. I will, right. Well, I will say because I did. So I was a, a project manager at Cornell Med School. I belonged in the Department of Public Health, so I, I handled a lot of grants and uh, projects. And I remember talking to my boss when I told her, "Hey, I got into med school, but if this doesn't work out, uh, should I go?" And she says, "You're gonna go." You you will always have a job back here if you want to, but you will not come back here. I'm telling you right now. And I still talk to her. Oh, cool. I talked to her niece uh, for a career planning actually uh, last year. So uh, she had told me, okay, if you ever felt the need to come back, no questions asked, you'll have your job back. But I never needed to do that. So how pivotal is that time or was your time at Rowan Virtua SOM? Was that really kind of where you got your feet under you? Any professors that stand out? Yeah, I I will say I thought about 
my process, I guess, or, or progress, I should say, throughout my years in college, medical school, you know, before and after. And if I really have a connection with a particular school, it's not, you know, did I have a great time in my college? Of course, being in New York was fantastic, phenomenal, all of the above. But the connection that I had with my medical school was just bar none. I mean, I, st- I still remember the first day I walked through the admissions, um, head of ad- admissions remembering me from my interview. Um, I still talked to her. I saw her at a function for the medical school a couple months back. Dean, who's been there as the school dean the day I was there, he's still there. He still remembers me. Um, and it's not a, a pretend like, oh, I think I remember you. Like they know you, they know your name. They knew your background. There's something about this medical school and how close everybody was that I really know wholeheartedly this is where I got my start. We talked about a backup plan, but was there something else besides surgery that you wanted to do besides? I really like like OB-GYN. So you call it the big four. So when you start, you have to figure out what field you want to get into. So there are different rotations that you do as a third-year medical student. And I was fortunate enough to get out the big fours first, and those are internal medicine, OB-GYN, pediatrics, and surgery. And I remember surgery was my last one out of the four. Um, OB-GYN, I actually, it was my second rotation, and I had a great time I connected well with the moms. I hadn't had any kids yet, but I remember just like that. I mean, it's such an intimate environment to walk patients through a difficult pregnancy and then a delivery. Um, I really remember thinking, gosh, maybe I want to do this. And then I hit my surgical rotation. I'm like, ah, no, I I belong here. (laughs) What is the mental load of the kind of work that you do? I make light of it. I always tell patients I'm an optimist because most days I have to be. You can't have a breast cancer surgeon not be an optimist because if you're, if I'm not an optimist, where would my patients be, sure. right? So by design, I think that a breast surgeon has to be as optimistic as possible. But it is it is really by design because most breast cancer patients actually do very well. This is why we recommend mammograms so that you capture breast cancer at an earlier stage. And as long as you capture it at an earlier stage, patients do well. But having said that, once in a while, I definitely have patients who are so young, who have children that are very close to my kid's age. Somehow, these patients just tug at you, connect with you in a really different way. And when these patients do not do well, it's sometimes I go home where I just have to tell my husband, can't, don't talk to me. I tell my kids, mommy can't talk. I talked all day, first of all. I spend my whole life in the office, even in the, whatever it is, always talking and talking patients off ledge, counseling them, talking to the husbands after the surgery. Your wife is going to be okay. Your mom's going to be okay. I talk all day, literally. But those days where I see my patients who almost are mirror images of either myself or my family members, my friends, and they don't when they don't do well is where I really have to take a step back. That that mental 
load of that is is tremendous. And how do you take care of yourself in those times? Um, besides telling everybody to leave <clears throat> you alone, which is fair. It, you know, I think spending time with your own family members, think doing things that makes you happy. Um, usually I take a moment, I cry it out, scream, whatever I need to do for that brief moment. And then I just come back downstairs. I spend time with the kids. They're still there, right? They still, nobody still made dinner. So somebody needs <laughs> to still make Darn dinner. Darn kids never give you a break. No, my husband just waited for me to come down to figure out what we want for dinner. <laughs> and then he'll say, well, I didn't know what you wanted. So <laughs> a pizza. So yeah, whatever, whatever. So I still like, oh, nobody still took care of dinner. All right. Why not? I did, you know, however many surgeries. I did a radio show. I came home. <laughs> Still, I got to make dinner. No problem. So I come down. But it's that life goes on, you know. Nothing changed. My kids keep you so humble. The craziness that goes on in my daughter's middle school craziness, the drama, all this. No matter what happens, life goes on. The kids go on. Kids bring you all sorts of drama. And that's what I think ultimately keeps me grounded and keeps me still to say, okay, snap out of it. You know, you, you have to do better. And then, of course, it's the patients who give you the strength. You know, I, I have to get up and go because still have all sorts of other patients the next day on my schedule, whether it's in the operating room or in the office that need to be counseled, that need to be treated. And so I, I have to figure it out, and, and I do. And talk about so. Well, let's just let's use this opportunity for an educational piece. Yeah. When do you advise that that folks get screened? So starting at forty, uh, without any, if you are not at a high risk of developing breast cancer, meaning you don't have any family history and whatnot, at a minimum, you should start annual screening mammogram at the age of forty. If you have a family history of breast cancer then at least 10 years before the earliest age of breast cancer diagnosis. So if your mom had breast cancer at 45, then you should actually start your mammogram prior to the age of 40. It's usually 10 years before. So only if there's breast cancer? What if there's non-cancerous tumors and things like that still early on, or that's still kind of in the norm? That's in the norm. And then tell us about, so is your, is your husband in the, in, what does oh, he do? What does he, he do? My he, doesn't, he doesn't cook dinner. He doesn't no, cook dinner. That. <laughs> Look, I'm not picking on your butt. Bro code, bro code. I got you. I got you. He always said, no, if I cook dinner, you always criticize and you want something different. <laughs> it's your fault. Okay. He's, no, no he's, he's an attorney, actually. He does uh, zoning and land use law, so okay. very far away from medicine. Yeah, extremely yeah, far away. Yeah, no, he won't like any of this. <laughs> so, so tell us how you both manage. I mean, you're both pretty... Big, big careers here. Yes, my my husband's actually a partner in this firm, and so so how are we managing this life? We're we're, we're some, cutting people open. We're doing this. We're doing, <laughs> like, what are we doing? Got four kids, right? Let's talk about your kids. Four four kids. So my daughter is the oldest. She is in sixth grade, and then I have three boys, uh, age ten, almost seven, almost five. So got four kids uh, under the age of thirteen. We're about to hit that teenage years, but it's the, Bless the you. oh gosh. But um, there's never a dull moment in my house. We just actually did a road trip for spring break, and it was where'd we go? Where'd we go? 
We drove down to Virginia. Drove. Um, drove. That's aggressive. Drove. Okay, that's aggressive. I was pretty aggressive because <laughs> I had an itinerary we were going to hit. We actually then drove to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And so I had an Airbnb that I read. It was nuts. My kids were like throwing up at one point, like a couple <laughs> times. But we made the itinerary. We had a good time. Or I like to say so. Okay. <laughs> Did you survey your audience or what? No, no. <laughs> no but there's all, I mean, sports, stuff that they're doing every day, family stuff. And then, of course, what I do in my job, there's a lot that I do for my job within the confines of, say, nine to five. The, the surgeons don't have nine to five uh, work days. But even if we were to have that, um, I do a lot of stuff also outside of uh, my primary job. And so there's a lot going on. And then, of course, my husband and his firm, there's there's definitely, uh, you know, lack of time. But we've always, even as I came into medical school and we made the choice that I was going to go into a surgical subspecialty, um, we always said we wanted a family, that we never put that on the back burner. In fact, my daughter was born when I was a fourth-year medical student. Wow. So all, I went to all of my general surgery uh, residency interviews fully pregnant out to here. You're not, you know, they're not allowed to ask you questions about pregnancies or kids or anything. It was unavoidable. I'm like, <laughs> out to here. So all the program directors are like, oh, do we uh, need to take a break here? You know, there was never... Uh, question of all of that. Um, and then I then went on to have two of my boys in my surgical residency training years. And so the, that part, we never really uh, wanted to sacrifice in any way, always made it work, had to figure it out. All right, let's talk about something. So in researching you, a good Google search on you, found a great, a great um, video of you talking about why you didn't want to be a surgeon. So you did mention earlier, kind of in passing, that you didn't really want to be a surgeon at first. But in a video, you kind of go in depth about why that was a decision that you were thinking of at that time. Can you talk a little bit about that conversation, about why you didn't think you wanted to pursue it because of the time it took? So, again, I came into medical school already having been married. And we never wanted to compromise our goals to have a family. And traditionally, a lot of the surgical um, careers can take a, a really grueling years of training and the lifestyles may not be so compatible with family life. Um, and so that's really, I didn't wanna go in, necessarily go into a field where I was gonna have to really spend a long time training, but also be in a male-dominated, you know, field where family wasn't looked at as a an important goal. Um, but I want to say I was, I feel really very strongly about this. I've, I feel that I was able to cultivate all of this because I was a, a medical school in our um, SOM community, because even when I started in the school, everybody seemed so, everybody is like so well congealed, very family oriented. It was a smaller class. Everybody knew each other. And there were a lot of opportunities where you could reach out to shadow somebody, you know, and that's how I was able to 
you do all these things through different organizations. Um, and so I was able to really look at different types of doctors, different types of surgeons. But a lot of the times, even with all of that, I didn't see a lot of female surgeons, certainly not those uh, that had families, um, certainly that were intact or, and with children. And so a lot of the times, I, I will still say, even the attendings that I keep in touch with now and are very close with, I remember a couple of the attendings telling me, look, you know, this might not be a good feel for you. You you want to have children. You already have one kid. You know, it's going to be really cumbersome for you to really, you know, do all the stuff you want to do. Um, it was challenging for sure. But, you know, in the end, uh, we figured out how to do it. And so a lot of the times it's really a top question. I will say I do I do a lot of mentoring for both college and medical students, and it's a lot of the questions that I get asked are, how do you maintain a work-life balance as a surgeon with all the children that you have and stay successful in all the jobs that you hold? Does that frustrate you to be asked that question because you're a female like your husband? Well, Rob did ask, how are you both balancing it? Because you have right. high-level yeah, jobs, so kudos more. to Rob. But usually yes. that's not the case. It's right. usually the moms being asked that question? Well, I mean, the moms are, even in this day and age, you know, my husband does so much. And he, all joking aside, I would not have been able to do any of the stuff without my husband's support. He really, uh, you know, there was not even a moment where I decided, hey, I'm going to do go into surgery. No problem if that's what you want to do. You want to do a fellowship? No problem. If that's what you want to do, we will figure it out. Um, And he, even now, because I'm a surgeon, a lot of, you know, I don't have a lot of flexibilities when I'm in the OR or when I'm in the office. So God forbid there are any emergencies with any of the kids. My husband has to figure it out. And he is always the go-to parent for a lot of the things. And so he really, I could not do any of this um, without his help. But, you know, having said that, you know, as a mom, I do a lot of the planning, you know, what goes on day to day. I'm the one that has to sort of figure out. I'm the one still organizing the play dates. Yep. I'm still the one that's getting the gifts together. Whose birthday party are we going to next? And and so we do a lot of the household work we do. And like I said, all joking aside, I do make dinner almost every night. No one else is going to make it. <laughs> and so I think that question is somewhat appropriate. You yeah. know, how do you manage to do all that and still maintain your professional career? Um, I don't get offended by that question when I get asked. Um I think that if anything, I like that people are asking these questions openly. And I'm very open about it. You have any questions? That's why I try to stay very active. This is one of the reasons why I really wanted to be part of the alumni association. It was sort of the mentoring of the students, con- keeping the connection with, you know, where I used to be to where I am now, and sort of teaching the students how to go through. And, and knowing that there are people and places where you could reach out for help or for any type of advice. And so I'm very open about that. Ask me anything, particularly when it comes to having a family um, while becoming a surgeon. And how is Dr. Flannery as a patient herself? 
terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going in with like I already know this stuff? Or no, what okay, no, no, no. Okay. I, I think. Well, I hate that. I, I always say, look, what is it? What do you want me to do? Um, my primary care doctor is a friend of mine. She actually was a senior resident to me when I was an intern. Um, and so I've known her a long time and she always yells at me, you gotta, you know, exercise. Nah, I don't have time. You sure? <laughs> like you gotta exercise. Oh, I'll give it a try. She texts me, did you exercise? No, I forgot, you know? So I, I'm not the best, um, patient, but Usually it's sort of like, I'm not the one where like, hey, I Googled everything and so this is what's going on. I don't do that. <laughs> so what are we doing then on our free time? So this is a controversial question because oh, I- Oh, good. Re- I'm yes. See, we asked the hard questions. It, it That's is. what the show's all about. So I recently picked up dollhouse rehabbing as a hobby. Really? And this has been oh, such- now. Yeah. Wait, like you're like painting it? So I'm stuff? painting it. I'm building miniature furniture. I'm doing wallpaper. So I- this <laughs> Remember, all you're sharing this with your friends too. I, you want to throw this out there? So it started because one of my partners, who's a breast surgeon, she had a dollhouse. She never finished when her mom gave it to her. And then her daughter, she tried to do it, and so they never finished this. So it was a half-done dollhouse, and she told me a couple years ago, hey, you, do you want to do this with Ella, your daughter? Sure, no problem. And then I inherited that, and we just blew it up. I mean, I probably spent that whole paycheck on that dollhouse. <laughs> like, I mean, paint samples, wallpaper. What? That's so Building fun. furniture. I'll show you guys pictures later. I mean, it, so... That's, That's what's going to be started. promo for the show, which yeah. is going to be the dollhouse. Yes. So then, of course, I don't do anything half-assed. Like, I'm going to okay. do it full, and I'm going to do it more than full. So we finished that, and it was like the Taj Mahal. Like, I, my partner was like, this is out of control. I did not think you were going to get this crazy with this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have given it this, you know, given this to you. And then, so what I'm doing now is actually... People are like texting me, hey, I saw pictures that you posted. Can you redo my dollhouse? <laughs> my best That's friend's fun. waiting for me to do it. And so I'm getting like a- You're putting like subway tile <laughs> in the kitchens and stuff like I that. I do also, I mean, wallpapering, all sorts of stuff. And I'm building like little furniture. I still remember my childhood. <laughs> yeah. Rob can't believe it. He's like, is this a thing? Like, this I still is, remember this my crazy. childhood dollhouse. Yeah. We had it. It was in my sister's room for okay. the longest time. It was on like a round table. Then my parents had built like a glass, yeah. almost like a Lazy Susan's. So you could like spin yeah. the dollhouse while you played with it. It was beautiful, yeah. but I never thought about rehab. I don't no, even know where it is. No, it's fun. And it's and I think that's something to be, because I'm still using my hands. Also, I'm being, I didn't realize that I was a creative person. But as a breast surgeon, you do have to be creative as to how are you going to make your scar. And so I, I realized in recent years, especially when doing the dollhouse, I must be a creative person. And it, it allows me that avenue in a fun way um, I started to do it with my daughter, but now it has gotten way out of proportion. She's so my like, daughter nah. gets all all stressed out, like, <laughs> I, I'm going to mess this up. And so we play. Usually I'll do this, and then the kids all come upstairs. They'll, they'll you know, play around, and, and then I'll say, okay, you're messing it up. Like, everybody I go mean, back down. I'm kind of hearing, like, this is an opportunity for, like, a reality TV show. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, there's it's like, like rehabs of yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't you see this? Yeah, I mean they have plenty for real houses. Yeah, like hoarders, right? like yeah. dollhouse. Yeah, it would definitely be on TLC yeah. for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And it might go a couple seasons, but you can go, go run out of it. You know what I mean? Move that bus. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'll show you pictures. Oh, yeah. I'm excited yeah. about that. I do want to see that. But you're also on the board, right? Yes. Not just rehabbing dollhouses, although that's fascinating. You're on the board at Rowan Virtua SOM. How did you get involved? What is that experience like for you to be involved? So I'm I'm very much a, a very new at this. Um it was just a way to get continue to be involved with the school that just gave me so much. I mean, like I said, I still talk to the dean. I still talk to a lot of the staff that were there when I was there as a medical student. And it was sort of a, a natural progression for me to continue on, especially since I'm practicing in the area. Um, and again, the level of proudness that I have uh, about being an alumnus of, of our school has just been so tremendous. And so I wanted to sort of give back to the community that I came from, and that's how I'm getting to be involved. Why don't you give some advice to the next uh, Kay Flannery out there? I, well, next Kay Flannery can be, uh, you know, I, I think the advice is don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do something. You know, whether you're a woman, you're a man, you're a minority, Whatever you want to do, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, and somebody tells you at any point, you cannot do this, you're going to stand up and say, no, but I can, and and figure out how you're going to show them. I mean, that would be the piece of advice that I would give somebody. That's beautiful. I feel like we need to close on I that because we can't <laughs> we can't get a better answer than that. So, Dr. Flannery, thank you so much for coming in today. It was such a pleasure oh, having you. It was short. I, I hope I never gonna... have to see you, but if I no. do, I'll please. I, you, send I'll me pick a text. You. Yes. Yeah. Send me a text. Is it okay if I say I love every guest? Because I really, I think the cool part about this um, job, I guess, because I wouldn't even call this a job, what we're doing here, but the cool part of being able to do these interviews is really getting to connect with all the alums that we get to talk to and hearing all their stories. Because we know there's a lot of alums, but when you get to sit down and have one-on-one conversations, that's a game changer. Yeah, but she was so down to earth. I know. Like we expected so many. I mean, I expected to be like, all right, what's this going to be like with this this, this, this doctor and the surgery and stuff? Yeah, like I know that. you don't. You're not really like into going to the I doctor don't, yourself. I don't go to doctors myself either. But, yeah. But no, but she was so down to earth. That's some cool stuff. I mean, I like the dollhouse thing that she did. I know. I hope I never see her, but I would like to see. Like, I hope I never have to see her. Let yes. me preface it saying that, but. I really liked her. Like, I want to be more involved in her world. Like, how do I, can I come over and do the dollhouses with her? Maybe. I mean, you just... just she might ask you to. Well, I'm a control freak, too, so we probably wouldn't work well together. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your design styles would clash. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had a really great time, and we're looking forward to having more medical school alums on Beyond the Brown and Gold. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.